Good morning. By the way, if you're new to Grace, I have three other kids that aren't going on the South Africa trip. Uh, So our two youngest are going with us. Uh, You may want to send the others a meal while we're gone. (laughs) Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 23. We're in the middle of this series, Seven Words, Seven Woes, on the scribes and Pharisees. Today, Jesus' word to greedy indulgers. Greedy indulgers. Today we're going to see Jesus' answer to greed and self-indulgence. That should be fun, right? Should be good. Be prepared to be painfully encouraged today. I have been this week. I have found that I am much more greedy and self-indulgent than I'm willing to admit. But the gospel is always redemptive. So we have hope. And that hope is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's remember that as we go into this. But stand with me to read God's Word. We're going to read Matthew 23, verses 25 and 26. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee! First clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for sending the Lord Jesus at the right time down to earth to die for our sins and to redeem your people from things like greed and self-indulgence. Lord, we pray that we would learn from you today. We pray, Lord, that you would have your way with us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we are in the fifth woe that Jesus pronounces on the scribes and the Pharisees. And it's, it's, it's emphasizing their hypocritical actions as opposed to their attitudes. Now, the sixth woe that we're going to see in three weeks from this Sunday, when, when I return, the sixth woe will be regarding their attitudes. So when you read the fifth and the sixth woes, they sound very familiar, but they sound very um, similar. But this is about their actions. The other is about their attitudes. What was it about their actions that was so wrong? The idea is that they were so worried about external cleanliness. Now, right before I came up here, I went to the back of the church and I put my hand under the little clean, hand cleaner thing and got some of that. Because I was shaking hands with a lot of people. I'm really worried about germs. If you know me very well, you know I'm really worried about germs. They were more than worried about germs And Jesus says, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish. Now, that would be a cup and a dish you would eat out of. You're going to put food in it. You're going to to put beverage in, in there and drink. But he says their hearts were full of greed. Their hearts were full of self-indulgence. In fact, if you see in... In, in, in these verses, it says that they, uh, you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. The, the, the cup and the plate. That's their lives. Their cleansing wasn't full. When they, when they cleaned, it was only on the outside. It was for what, we, what would seen by other people, 
So there was only a partial cleansing going on on the surface for the sake of being seen by others. That was their situation. Now what Jesus is doing here is he's pointing out another negative character trait uh, that they were famous for. And they fooled their constituency. People didn't know that they were being false because all they could see was the outside. They couldn't see the heart. Just like 1 Samuel tells us, um, God uh, looks on the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance. So all their people that they led thought that they were doing the right thing. But Jesus knew what was in man no matter what the outside appearance looked like. No matter how shiny the exterior. So verse 25, he says, Woe to you. Scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You're so concerned with ceremonial cleanliness. Your attitudes, your motives, your actions are far from me. That's what Jesus is saying. So let's, let's look at this. He says you clean the outside. and It's all about appearance. It's like wearing clothes, putting them over an unwashed body, let's say. Uh, it's, it's like a facade. It's like painting over something just to hide what's really there like painting over rotten wood might look good for a little while but it's rotten on the inside so jesus is talking about the inside being full of something he's talking about their hearts and their minds the substance of things the truth of things their their true identity the pharisees focus on external issues lay at the heart of their error that was their issue think about it for a moment though who wants to drink from a dirty cup Looks good on the outside, but, you know, you go to a restaurant and you see that there's lipstick on, on your cup or there's a, a bug in your cup or there's, there's dried food on the inside. What if just for a whole week you, you didn't do the dishes? And every time you needed to eat or drink, you just grabbed one of the dirty dishes from the kitchen sink or from the, the, uh, the table that you just left them there. It would be pretty gross, Right? I can tell by your faces, you don't want to do that. This is the kind of thing that Jesus is pointing to, but in a spiritual way. It's like going to a beautiful banquet and eating rotten food. uh, The best china, the best dishes, rotten food on the inside. They're going to give you food poisoning or E. coli or whatever. They're going to give you, you're going to get something from it. The Pharisees live their lives... uh, as if external appearance were the most important thing and more important than internal reality. It was the very essence of their hypocrisy. We're talking about hypocrisy here, pretending to be one thing but really being another. And Jesus rebuked them for this. It wasn't the first time he had rebuked them for this. Now, he says that they cleaned the outside. What does it mean to, to clean something? Biblically speaking, it, it means to purify something. Uh, it's used in terms of cleansing from leprosy. It, it, it's used about purifying ceremonially. Here it's being used to purify from the pollution of sin. The problem was sin. So the guilt and the pollution of sin had messed up their lives. According to Jesus, he said, whatever comes out of a man makes him unclean. Evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, greed. Jesus said this in Matthew, uh, excuse me, in Mark 7, verse 16, and then verses 21 and 22. This is what makes a person unclean. So here they are being worried about cleaning things, and Jesus is telling them, you're really unclean. The greed and the 
Self-indulgence has made you that way. Now, greed is what was in their hearts. What does it mean to have greed? It literally means to take something by force. Your Bible translation might call it robbery. It means to plunder. It means to pillage. It's like a a pirate out going and taking things from people. It really has the idea of extortion. Where you take from others by force to spend on yourself. To obtain something from someone else that is induced by either threat or force or violence or fear. I want you to go back to a verse in Matthew 23, verse 14, a verse that actually isn't in the originals, the original uh, copies of the New Testament, but Mark 12.40 is, Mark 12.40, so Mark 12.40 and Matthew 23.14, the same verse, I'll read it from Mark 12.40, He's talking, Jesus is talking about the scribes and the Pharisees, and he says, they devour widows' houses. And for a pretense, make long prayers. They will receive greater condemnation. This hits to the heart of their greed. They, they weren't allowed to be paid for their services, the teachers of the law. So they were dependent on the gifts of patrons for their livelihood. So they would help someone and they would give them a gift. Now the system was vulnerable to abuse and obviously they worked the system. Wealthy widows in particular were preyed on by the greedy and unscrupulous among them. And so Jesus is pointing this out to them. One writer said, To rob the poor and the bereaved under the guise of personal piety doubles the guilt. So here are the scribes and the Pharisees pretending to help others, pretending to give them spiritual direction, and all they wanted was the gift. See, greed is a very ugly taskmaster. It's always hungry. And greed always eats first. Pushes itself to the front of the line. Now you add in some unrestrained self-indulgence and you've got the perfect recipe for a crash and burn. Jesus says woe to this. We cry for mercy. And expo- to be exposed in your own heart to the depths of your own sinfulness, all you can do is cry for mercy. It's like the Pharisee and the publican who are out praying there in the, in, in the, in the temple and the Pharisee saying, I'm so glad I'm not like him. And, and the tax collector is just saying, have mercy on me, Lord. I'm a sinner. Because he recognized his true condition. Greed is deceptive. It's like a bully. It takes without asking. Someone said greed is a bottomless pit which exhausts the person in an endless effort to satisfy the need without ever reaching satisfaction. Then you have uh, Aesop's fables, right, about greed. You've got the dog and his reflection. He he gets given a big bone by his master, and he he goes, he's going over this bridge, and he's over a body of water, a little pond, and he looks down in there, and, and he sees a dog with a bigger bone. So he goes for it in greed and loses the, the one true bone that he had how about the goose with the golden eggs there's a, this goose given golden eggs and and so one after another one a day so the owner thinks hey let me just get them all right now kills the goose no eggs 
story of the greedy boy. There's this boy that, that uh, his grandmother had a, a candy jar up on top of the fridge. And every day she would reach up there into the jar and pick out one piece of candy and give it to the little boy. He liked it for a couple days and then he realized when grandma goes out, I could get a whole bunch of candy at one time. So he, he gets up there and he sticks his hand in the candy jar and he gets a whole big handful of candy but he realizes he can't pull his hand out of the jar. He, he's stuck. And he, but he won't let go of this, all this candy he wants and so his grandma comes and, and catches him. Lost it all. No more candy for the little boy, the greedy little boy. It's interesting that greed most often has to do with possessions. Francis Bacon said, If money be not thy servant, it will be thy master. The covetous man cannot so properly be said to possess wealth as that it may be said to possess him. So greed is a problem. And then there's self-indulgence. What's self-indulgence? It's a, it's a lack of, of self-control. It's unrestrained selfishness. It's, it's excess. It's, it's like going to an all-you-can-eat buffet... And, and not stopping when you've eaten all you can eat. Saying yes to yourself all the time. No self-denial. It, it's, it's the idea of excess. It has to do with the idea of, of power or lack thereof. It's conduct which shows a, a lack of power over oneself. Second Peter chapter 2 speaks of those who in their greed will exploit others with false words and they have hearts trained in greed. A heart trained in greed uh, exhibits a huge amount of self-indulgence. See, self-indulgence is taking the next step in greed. It promises freedom, but it's a prison. Now, a classic example of greed and self-indulgence is, is in Second Kings, in chapter 5. And it's, a, um, it's one of those examples where something good was happening and somebody poisoned the, poisoned the well with something bad. There's this commander of the army of the king of Syria. His name was Naaman. You've probably heard of him before. Now, he was a great man and people liked him. He did a great job. And by him, God had given victory to Syria. So there, was, there were good things happening uh, in his life, through his life. He was called a mighty man of valor. He had one problem. He was a leper. So people really couldn't be around him. And while they were going into the land of Israel at one point, they, they carried off a little girl. They kidnapped the girl from Israel and took her back and and she was a servant to Naaman's wife. And this little girl, I love what she said. She said, I wish that Naaman were in Israel. Because if he was there with the prophet who's in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Hmm. So Naaman went and told, told his... Uh, his boss, hey, uh, here's what this little girl said. And the king of Syria sent a letter to the king of Israel. Now the king of Israel gets the letter and thinks, why are you picking a fight with me? I can't do this. 
Elisha hears it, the man of God, who walked by faith, heard that the king of Israel had basically torn his clothes in grief because he figured, why is this king coming at me and telling me to heal someone? I can't do that. So Elisha says, hey, have Naaman come to me. So Naaman comes to his house and standing outside. And instead of going to talk to him, Elisha says, sends a servant and says, you tell him to go dip seven times in the Jordan River and he will be clean. All he has to do is that, right? Not a, not a bad thing. Speaking of being clean. But Naaman's angry and he goes, hey, I got better rivers where I live. Uh, what's so hot about theirs? I'm not going to do it. But he got talked into doing it and he was cleansed. He starts worshiping God and he says, you know what? I am going to worship God because I realize there is no other God on earth but the one true God, the God in Israel, of Israel. So I want to give you a present, he says to Elisha. And Elisha says, I, I'm not taking the present. Very unlike uh, the Pharisees of Jesus' day, who would take anything for any reason. Here's uh, Elisha saying, no, don't give me the present. Sends him away. He says, just, you know, God bless you. But there was Gehazi, servant of, 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 of Elisha, the man of God. And he's thinking to himself, I can get something out of this. And so he chases Naaman down. And he, and he lies. He says, well, we've just had two visitors and they need stuff. We need some gold, some, I mean, some silver and some really good clothes for them. And he gives them to them and he takes them and puts them in his house. And he goes and greets Elisha. And Elisha says, how you doing, buddy? Where you been? And he goes, nowhere. I haven't been anywhere. Here's the answer. Elisha says, verse... 26, 2 Kings 5. Did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants? Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. And he went out of his presence a leper like snow. You see, greed makes us unclean. But it's easy to see that for Gehazi, but what about us? What is it about greed and self-indulgence that are so destructive to our life? Can't we have a little greed that no one knows about? Can't we indulge ourselves a bit and just have that be hidden? What do they do to us? Well, it's just like Gehazi. The, it makes us unclean in God's sight. The essence of uncleanness, by the way, is opposition to God. The idea of being a, a, a apart from God. In the Old Testament, they had all these rules and regulations about being clean or unclean. You couldn't be amongst the people of God. You couldn't be um, in, in the temple with, if you were unclean. The essence of uncleanness is opposition to God, and greed and self-indulgence are so deceptive. They're obliterating common sense in our lives. They're they're scripture-twisting sins. We, we start to think something that isn't true, and, and at its root is, is good old-fashioned pride. Pride. You know, C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity said that things like greed are, is, a, is a mere flea bite in comparison to pride. 
But pride is at the root of greed. Pride exalts itself against God. So does greed at its root. And the problem is that we try to keep it hidden in our own lives. I do, you do. And we think, well, I'll clean myself up. I'll make myself presentable before I get to church or before whatever. I'll, 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 I'll confess my sins right before. And what happens is we try to be our own Savior and Lord. We think, well, you know what? No one sees. No one knows. But isn't it interesting? Here we here are Christians born again by the Spirit of God who have a new Lord in their life. Sin is not, no longer Lord over them. Satan is no longer their Lord. They have a new commander, Jesus, not Satan. Christians, a brand new identity, a new condition. Beloved, not rejected. Recipient of mercy, not wrath. Christians who have a, a new calling on their life. A brand new calling, God's glory rather than self-glory. And, and, a, and a, new, a new country, heaven. Citizens of heaven. All that, we even have new clothes. The righteousness of Christ versus our filthy rags. We have internal riches in Christ, not temporal pleasure. And with all that, we fall into greed and self-indulgence. So here's God at work progressively sanctifying his children and and it's almost like we're fighting against that process by running back into greed and self-indulgence so riptide it's undertow of repressive sin and it's deceptive to the core it blinds us that's what sin does it blinds us to the point that we pharisaically think we're doing the right thing even that we're serving god and what we see in verse 26 matthew 23 is Jesus' answer. He's answered to the Pharisees and the scribes. It's answered to, to believers that even find themselves running back to these things. And it's a very simple answer, but the hardest thing in the world, it's this. Jesus' word to, to greedy indulgers. Let God cleanse your heart. Let God cleanse your heart. You won't need to rob others. You can exercise self-control. If, if an internal change happens, if you get cleansed internally, the outside's going to be affected. That's what Jesus says. He says, you blind Pharisee. And do you notice, notice the change to the singular in verse 26? From the plural to the singular, as if Jesus, in a, in a much more personal tone, pleads with a Pharisee to mend his ways. He says, you blind Pharisee. He's making it very personal. He's making it very, very particular. Clean the inside. First, clean the inside of the cup and the plate. That the outside also may be clean. Clean the inside. That's code for trust Jesus to, clean, to cleanse your heart. Every one of us knows we need the cleansing that only Jesus gives. It's almost like you're at your house and let's go back to the kitchen, okay? All these dirty dishes all these stains in the sink or whatever, you know, and you got some really good cleanser under the sink, but you don't use it. You think, no, no, I can get this with some good elbow grease. Get, you know, I, I, can, I can do this on my own. I can figure this out. You've got the source. You just won't use it. 
You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, the outside will become clean. You know, we all need cleansing. Every day, we need cleansing. Regarding that cleansing that we need, how do we break free from the stronghold of greed and self-indulgence? I don't know if there's any other action that, that Americans, so if you're from out of country today, you're, you're off the hook. But I don't know of any other sins that American Christians are probably more wrapped up in and don't realize it than greed and self-indulgence. And most American Christians aren't robbing banks, holding people up as pirates or anything like that. It's more deceptive than that. It's, it's, it's not so, so, so easily identified because we have found ways to gloss it over, put some varnish on it. We need cleansing, and the only way the cleansing comes is to trust the blood of Jesus Christ, to trust the Word of of Jesus Christ. You trust the blood and the word of Jesus Christ to cleanse you. We go to 1 John chapter 1. Verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. We go to John chapter 15. Verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he was thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, verse 7, and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. We need to trust the blood and the word to cleanse us. I've never understood the concept of a self-cleaning oven. I don't get it. I picture this, this invisible hand coming out when you close the door, when the light is off. And it does its work and then goes back in the back of the wall. I don't know if that's how a self-cleaning oven works or not, but I've always wondered where the little food bits and cheese droppings go when the oven cleans itself. Here's what I do know. We can't do that. We need the deep cleansing of of the Spirit of God using the Word of God in our hearts and lives. And we cannot do that ourselves. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I know we don't like to go there. 
but I'm going there. And there's a reason. There's a list of things. Not the only sins in the world, but some sins. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Sin is deceptive. He said, Paul says, neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. We need to be cleansed by the blood and the word of Jesus. We don't like to read these because we don't want to be politically incorrect because, oh no, there are people that do these things and that means we're calling them sinners that are under the wrath of God. Well, everyone outside of Christ is a sinner out uh, under the wrath of God. Look what Paul says next. Paul says next in verse 11, and such were some of you. I don't think the church of Jesus Christ has done its gospel job until sitting among us in our congregations, in our worship services, in our small groups, in our home groups, are people who can say, I was that, but I was washed. I was sanctified. I was justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. If we're doing our gospel job of getting the gospel out among ourselves and out into the world, there must be people who can say, I was like this. See, Paul says that. He says, Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. Jesus is a sinner's only hope of salvation and redemption from sin. The gospel of the grace of God in Christ is our only hope. But here's what happens. I live my life and I say, I need some cleansing. I sin, I need cleansing. And so I try to work it out in my head how to hide the sin. I try to work it out in my head how to get by it without just throwing myself at the mercy of God and trust the blood of Christ. One of my favorite little books, A Gospel Primer for Christians, written by a guy I feel I know, but I don't know him, a guy named Milton Vincent. Here's what he says. He goes, I desire fullness. Now think about this for a moment. Jesus said, you're full. You're full of greed and self-indulgence. Milton says, hey, I, I desire fullness and fleshly lusts seduce me by attaching themselves to this basic desire. They exploit the empty spaces in me and they promise that fullness will be mine if I give in to their demands. When my soul sits empty and is aching for something to fill it, such deceptive promises are extremely difficult to resist. See, the key to killing fleshly lusts 
is to replace the emptiness within us with fullness. But that only comes from, from taking in the gospel, literally feasting on the gospel. See, in the gospel, we experience a God who glorifies himself by putting all things right. By glorif- who glorifies himself by filling us with his fullness. It's what the Bible tells us. It tells Christians, of his fullness you have all received and grace upon grace. Vincent says also, to the degree that I am full, I am free. Eyes do not rove, nor do fleshly lusts rule when the heart is fat with the love of Jesus. See, the blood of Christ changes us. The, the word of Christ changes us. It redirects us. It reorients us. It radically actually transforms us, our hearts, from selfishness to service, and then our actions follow suit. But we have this propensity to greed. We fall right back into it. And, and, and regarding that propensity to greed, you need to, to live generously by the Spirit of God. Galatians chapter 5, all about the fruit of God's Spirit in the life of a believer. Verse 16, walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. So you can't play both sides of this coin. They're opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. That's what Paul said. I want to do the right thing. I keep doing the wrong thing. It's his battle. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The works of the flesh are evident. And the very greedy type things, they're all self-indulgent things. Interestingly, the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, which are all legal, which belong to Christ, those are generous things. Those are, are things that bless other people. Now, one might mistakenly say that he has no problem with greed because he has never robbed or extorted anyone. But greed lurks in the shadows like an alligator just below the surface waiting for its prey. And I think it's greed in the little things that steal our hearts away. It's not robbing banks. It's the little self-indulgences that we allow ourselves that sink the ship. But we say, hey, it's not the biggie. I didn't commit a biggie sin. Right? Wrong. See, our actions betray our hearts. What do we do? We nurture little resentments we we let little petty rivalries get fed we we nurse personal wounds we harbor private resentments and little spiritual felonies disguised as opinions and preferences and ideas and suggestions they come from our fleshly desires that wage war against the spirit we are greedy for our own way i don't think i'm just describing myself Our flesh loves malice and hides it in innocuous comments. 
Our guile knows no shame. We thinly veil it under a cloak of smiles, and our hatred just simmers under the back on the back burner. I I got I came face to face with my greed the other the other day. Uh, it was one of those situations that was just one of those situations. I was talking to someone in my office. I was I was counseling them. I was helping them. They were they were going through a really tough tough time. One of those life altering type things and and. Here's the thought that came across my mind as I see the wheels clicking in this person's eyes as they're opening up the word and, and light is shining upon their life. I had the thought, hey, if I help them, people will think I'm a better pastor. If this works, hey, that's a couple gold stars. Sin is deceptive. Greed is deceptive. We want for ourselves, even in the midst of, I can hide, by the way, my, my greed under the uh, shepherding the flock, helping, uh, just uh, helping my family cloak. Greed is a scammer. And then what happens is if we're greedy in our hearts, our wallets and our possessions will remain under our control. Acts chapter 20, Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders and he's, he's, fair, he's giving them a farewell. And he's telling them about what was going on and how he had acted amongst them. And he says in verse 32 of Acts chapter 20, And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. He didn't do Gehazi's greed. He didn't do my greed. And he says, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you, by his actions he's shown them, that by working hard in this way, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. How he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's easy to keep our hearts and our wallets to ourselves. We think that Jesus mistakenly is, a, is only a spiritual savior. No, he is an economic savior as well. He is a, he's the savior of, of every aspect of your life. He's the Lord. Oh, He's only the Lord of my spiritual life. No, He's the Lord of every nook and cranny of your life. He he wants us to live generously by the Spirit, relationally and with all we've been given. We do need the Spirit of God to invade every nook and cranny of our lives like butter in an English muffin, just going all through everything, just lavished upon our dry, crusty souls. That's what we need. Let me say one more thing. Regarding this hunger we have for self-indulgence, this, this, this hunger for these little indulgences that we think really don't hurt us that much. You know, we need to serve Jesus, not ourselves. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that Jesus died for all that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. The love of Christ controls us, compels us. 
to serve Christ. I'm not working for the eyes and appearance and, and approval of man. As Colossians 3 tells us, it's the Lord Christ whom you serve. What we're really talking about as Jesus is talking to these Pharisees is battling sin. Battling sin. Waging war on sin. But not alone. That's our problem most of the time when we get into the greed and self-indulgence. We think, these are just mine. I will deal with these and the confessions of these on my own. No one needs to see these. These are all hidden behind the wall. The problem is they only really get dealt with in community with other believers. That's why the Spirit of God inspired James to say in James 5.16 therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a little book called Life Together and in that book he says this sin demands to have a man by himself it withdraws him from the community the more isolated the person is the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. And the more deeply he becomes involved in it, the more disastrous is his isolation. But in confession, the light of the gospel breaks into the darkness and seclusion of the heart. The sin must be brought into the light. The unexpressed must be openly spoken and acknowledged. All that is secret and hidden is made manifest. Bonhoeffer says it is a hard struggle until the sin is openly admitted. But God breaks gates of brass and bars of iron. And then he says this. Since the confession of sin is made in the presence of a Christian brother, the last stronghold of self-justification is abandoned. The sinner surrenders. He gives up all his evil. He gives his heart to God and he finds the forgiveness of all his sin in the fellowship of Jesus and his brother. Now, he stands in the fellowship of sinners who live by the grace of God in the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what the church is. A fellowship of sinners who live by the grace of God in the cross of Christ. Now, maybe this sermon today has only been for me and maybe you would think that's a little greedy and self-indulgent and maybe it was just my heart that is more greedy and self-indulgent than i realize or am willing to admit but what is your first thought what is your primary focus is it god's glory or your good is it god's best and his people's best or your best is it worshiping God and building up believers and reaching others for Christ as we state our goal is as a church or is it being comfortable? Is it being fed? Is it being built up and being as pain-free as possible? Jesus invaded earth following through on his promise to defeat sin and he had to be condemned to do it. He had to be called every name in the book to do it. He had to have every sin in the book 
thrown on him. And he exchanged his life for ours. Freely, generously, serving so that we would worship him and serve him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for pointing to our need for your cleansing mercy and forgiveness. Lord, help us to stop trying to figure out everything to our own advantage. Purify our hearts, Lord. Only you can bring that about. May we not be afraid to go to you again and again and tell you all of our trouble. Because you cleanse hearts, you change lives. Lord, may, may we find in Christ true cleansing. 